This is the show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him in their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, tomorrow is the fifth Sunday of Lent, which means that Easter is right around the corner. Uh, next Sunday is is already Palm Sunday. I just it's kind of blown my mind how quickly Lent has gone this year, um, and yet here we are uh, getting ready to celebrate the Paschal mystery. Well, how are you doing? How has your your Lent gone? Come on over to our social media and have a conversation with me, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. What has your Lenten observance looked like? And what are you hoping that you'll receive as you enter into the celebration of Easter? If you've listened to the show before, you know I have this kind of formula as I look at the penitential seasons of the church. Um, Advent, when it comes around, we focus in our readings on the eschaton, on the end of uh, days, on the redemption of the whole world, of the cosmos. And so we can look around the world and say, you know what? All is not right with the world. I see injustice. I see difficulty. um, And things just aren't the way that God made them to be. And then we look to Christmas to be the answer to that. The incarnation is that which uh, sets all things right with the world. Lent is a time where we, through self-examination, through listening to the Holy Spirit, realize that all is not right with us. There are some things that we do that that aren't right, that we need to go to confession for, that we need to be reconciled to the Father. Uh, And so we can say, all is not right with me, knowing full well that when we come to celebrate Easter and enter into the Paschal Mystery, um, those things will be set right. And so here we are approaching Easter and trusting that those things that we have noticed during this Lenten season, that those things are things that God pointed out to us for the purpose of restoring and bringing healing to us uh, as you come to Easter. If you haven't taken the time to do that, I really encourage you and invite you to spend some time in silent prayer and ask the Holy Spirit, where are the places that you want to, to bring your healing presence Uh, into my life. We talked about this a little bit last week, and I want to just touch on it again because this is very important. We are invited to encounter Christ in the Paschal Mystery and to encounter His healing presence in the Paschal Mystery. It is not a time for us to do this um, kind of resolution, right? The, the, The Lenten observance, the thing that we give up, the prayer, the fasting, the almsgiving, This is not like a New Year's resolution where we're going to make ourselves better by doing it. Rather, we we do that prayer and fasting and almsgiving to show us the insufficiency of these other things in our lives to meet our needs so that we can turn and receive from God the gifts that he has for us so that we can recognize that it is in our lack Christ comes to meet us, and that encounter with him is what changes us. It's not uh, this Pelagian, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not this idea of self-improvement. Rather, it's the idea of, uh, of turning ourselves over, of encountering Christ, and in that encounter, finding the healing that we so deeply need. But that's hard for us. It's hard for us to to turn over the control of something 
into the hands of the Almighty, right? We like to think that if we just follow the right path, if we just uh, find the right secret five steps forward uh, and follow the recipe, we're going to be able to bring about change and healing and wholeness in our life. If I just follow the right um uh, the the prescription of a daily rosary or, or going to adoration or, or or making sure I make it to daily mass or whatever it is that we have for ourselves to do. If I just follow the right steps, the right program, then everything's going to be okay. I'm going to find my way into healing because of that effort. Well, I have to tell you, this is not the path that God has given to us. Now, yes, Going to daily mass, having times of adoration, spending time in prayer and in scripture, these are opportunities for us to encounter the living God, for us to encounter Christ, and in that encounter to find true love and to find healing. But it's not the action from our part that does anything. It's God and God alone in his desire for us and his encounter with us that brings us the healing that we need. Now, um, in this same vein, there's a difficult conversation that I want to have. Uh, this week, the CDF released a document uh, talking about what the church has the ability or the authority to do with regard to, uh, to blessing same-sex unions. And I don't so much even want to talk about this document, although we'll talk about it just a little bit to set the stage here in a moment. What I'm interested in is the conversations that we have around it. And I wrestled with this for a long time. Um, And I even wrestled with this through the course of the interview that you're about to hear. Uh, And it came at the end of the interview, I think in the Patreon segment, maybe even after everything was recorded, that that the reason that I struggled with this came out so quickly. Um, We like things to be in neat little boxes. We like to understand and to study and to figure out and to quantify what it is that we're looking at specifically as we talk about the faith. And, uh, and I think that there's something good in that, but there's also a weakness in that. And this comes down to the, the, the question of communication. We have two responsibilities as we look at these difficult topics uh, in front of us. The first is a responsibility to the faith. I believe, and I said this when I came into the church, I believe and profess all that the Catholic Church teaches, believes, and proclaims to be revealed by God. When we get into these difficult conversations, it's a good place to start to go and to look and see what the church has said about something and to wrestle with it. If we don't quite understand it, take the time to look at it from different angles Because I believe that God preserves his church and has given the church the authority to teach these things to me. And so I believe that it's good to study and to look for clarity on difficult issues. I also believe that we're called to be evangelists. We're called to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And that evangelization should always start with our commonalities. It should start with the things that we believe together, that we hold in common with others. And it should also always lead to that encounter 
with the person of Jesus Christ. Anything else is not enough. Anything else is just inviting someone into an intellectual ascent, a pursuit towards moralistic, therapeutic deism. But we need more than that. We need more than just subscribing to a set of ideals. We need the encounter with Jesus Christ. And so as we look at these conversations that are flying around, I want to invite you and encourage you uh, to take a step back and ask a couple of questions. One, what can I contribute to this conversation? Two, am I engaging here for my own edification and my own knowledge of truth, or am I engaged in evangelization? Are my words, who's most likely to read my words as I talk about this? Because here's the thing. There are people all around us who more than anything need an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And the only place they're going to see that is in you. And so we have a very big responsibility to choose our words carefully and to reflect the mercy and the love and the grace of God, even as we pursue the truth. One of the things, I I didn't want to talk about this this week. It came up, I read about it, I saw the different conversations going on, and this is not something that I really wanted to dive into. But I really felt compelled that, that it's incumbent upon us as disciples, missionary disciples, to handle this conversation well. And so anytime that I am stuck in a conversation that I am not very uh, deeply skilled in, I want to talk to someone who has a different perspective than I do, someone who can speak into this and give me some insight that I wouldn't otherwise have. So today we're going to expand our perspective in a conversation with Anna Carter, who is... uh, Gosh, you have a title, I'm sure, but you're like the 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 grand poobah of Eden Invitation. That's one way to put it. <laughs> you're 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 in charge of uh, the, you know the 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 general ringleader, the 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 resident wordsmith, the vision caster of of Eden Invitation, which you can find at EdenInvitation.com, which is um, an apostolate that seeks to go beyond. Uh, the LGBT plus paradigm, uh, lifting up the dignity of the human person, looking at uh, original personhood and what that means. And very often uh, we have our expectations of what the conversation around uh, LGBT plus conversations is going to be, right? We've got these really clearly drawn lines, ruts, as you will, that are our conversational cart tends to find its way back into every time we traverse this road. And so here recently, the CDF released uh, a response to a dubia. A dubia is a, an official mechanism by which a person who has pastoral authority can get definitive answers from the Vatican on matters that are in dispute, right? My children recently were playing Clue. And they had a disagreement. And of course, because we live in a house with eight kids, the rule book was nowhere to be found. Um, one of them was thinking that a certain thing was unfair, which I could certainly see his side of it. The other one was saying, I remember, I have a really good memory. This is what the rules say. And I'm like, you know what? I'm sure you do have a really good memory, but I have this thing called the internet and we're going to look it up. So there was, there was a dispute. 
between the two parties, there was no way that was going to get answered. So we went and we looked up the rule book, right? That's what really a dubia is meant to be. It's for a place where there's a dispute um, of people who have pastoral authority to go and ask the Vatican and the Vatican to that group, to that specific audience, answers the question. Um, but as you mentioned before we started, uh, there's this thing called the internet. And so the rest of us are all eavesdropping on this official conversation, and that adds all layers of complexity into it. And commenters all across the board find their way into these ruts that we talked about. And the conversation continues on the path that it has trod many times before. The rut gives ever deeper, and we're no closer to having any kind of clarity on this topic. And so I wanted to invite you to come and help us wrestle with this idea a little bit as a person who has lived through this, who walks with this community, what have you seen as the internal response, as the unintended response of this document? Yeah, no, I've seen, um, I think just a lot of different, different emotions, right. And a lot of different, um, reactions. I think one is, you know, tell me something I don't already know. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of the people that I tend to work with are, have an understanding, right, of our theology of marriage, what a sacrament is, right? That's a lot of what the this response was rooted in, was what is the sacramentology of marriage and how does that affect the way we do rites and blessings and that kind of a thing. Um, and so... They, it's like, okay, we, we know, we know this. I, I think one thing that was positive, a positive response was the, the pastoral tone. There was just some elements of it where I, I think there was a sense of like, this is probably going to get read by other people. Um, and so there was this very clear reaffirmation of the dignity of the human person, um, the love of God for all of us, no matter where we're at. Um, they also gave a clarifier, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that also gets sometimes people up in a tizzy is, um, what do you even mean by union? Right. Um, you know, a same sex union is that, um, and we might, yeah, like what, what is meant by that? Um, do you mean, you know, two people who, um, are living single lives, but they are, you know, living in community with one another in some way, right? Which I know there's people within the Edemptation that desire to do that. It's like, hey, if I'm going to be single the rest of my life, I don't want to live alone with a bunch of cats. Like, can we, you know, <laughs> what does it mean? Um, and because uh, it's a broad word, but the, the fact was very clear. They're like, we're talking about when there's like this, is there's sexual activity happening mm -hmm. and it's marriage without the name marriage in some ways, right? What, like that's what we're talking about. So there was a clarity there that hasn't been specified before. So that was, you could tell like, okay, you're listening to some of the, the confusion that exists. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I think another, the probably the third thing is some of the, um, even though it's like, it's good to get these things affirmed and, and confirmed from the highest levels when there is some confusion out there. Um, I think you also see, um, some just kind of people feeling tired um, that are people that are really trying to be disciples that are trying to live that don't have all the resources they need to um, 
live well in community and discern vocation. And all you, when it sounds like all you're hearing, I put, I'm putting that in air quotes for right. those of you on audio. Um, it seems like all you're hearing is the same broken record, repeating right. the same teaching over and over again that you already surrendered to years ago. Um, so that's, it's an overview. Well, and let's, let's look at this a little bit. George Bernard Shaw. And I say this quote all the time. One of the things that he says, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. So here you have a group of people who have communicated something in, in that they have expressed it, right? We've expressed it. We put it down on paper. We did our best to select our words really carefully. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is most of the people who are going to respond to this are not people who have actually read the document. They've read something that's written about the document. And the the headlines that are out there are just really, in, I mean, you can tell a lot about what the content of the article is going to be based on what's the pull quote they have. What 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 is it that they uh, are expressing? So for one instance, it said, well, um, the, the Vatican says that that you can't bless gay people. Well, this is not what the document says at all. In fact, the document says quite the opposite, that the blessings for the individual are absolutely um, important, right? You, this is something that should be done. Uh, then you have others who are taking the opposite tack, and it's just like we're coming at each other with hammers and kind of hammering in our message without really taking the time to see if the audience that we're speaking to is actually hearing and receiving the things that we're trying to express. That's one of the things that you do and you do so well with Eden Invitation is to invite people who, who experience LGBT plus um, desires to invite them into a relationship with the church and to live in, in, a, in a way that, that finds fulfillment um, and does so chastely and does so in, also in communion with, with Christ. You know, and I think one of the challenges of, just if we want to even talk communication, right? I think one of the challenges of our age today as well is we have this model from the church, right? An accompaniment model, like the model of the catechumenate, right? How do you bring somebody from a state of disbelief to deep discipleship? And um, we we don't do that super well. <laughs> like we're trying to, I think, to do it better on an individual basis. But I think sometimes what happens is you have these these proclamations that come out that, as you pointed out, can be well-intended and rooted in really beautiful theology, if you know the theology behind it all. But it's just upending that process. And so um, I think that can be one of the things as well, that as people who are maybe outside the church or angry at the church, for whatever reason, see these things. And it's like, you know, are we reminding LGBTQ people that they're loved by God, that they're invited, that God has a purpose and a plan for everyone's lives, right? That God is inviting us on a journey to get to know him, to be in relationship with him. Um, that's what has to come first in any conversion process. Uh, and sometimes I think it, it, we make, we, we shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes um, when some of these, we're getting this kind of heady theology, um, you know, without the accompanying preparation to receive it. Well, uh, yes. And, um, the person is hearing what they're going to hear, right? They're hearing, um, based on these ruts that, that society having trod this path a hundred times, 
uh, kind of pushes the conversation into. Um, and, and those immediately go to, there's no place for me and my experiences, according to what the church says, uh, to find fulfillment in life and companionship in life. I've heard that many times over. How would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, it's that individual conversation, right? Of the reality is, I think, understanding um, those basic existential questions. You have to start there in relationship with that person, right? There's no clear, there is a clear answer, right? That God is um, inviting all of us into community. Um, he's inviting all of us into deep friendship that's intentional, that's sustained over time. He's inviting us all into self-gift, right? The use of our charisms and our strengths in a way that makes us come alive and is a gift to the world and like makes the world better. Right. We're invited into a place of community and purpose. Um, and ideally, that's what the church should be. Right. That's what your parish should be. That's what faith community should be. Um, it's not always right. And we do sometimes there are a lot of goods that are attached to partnership in relationship. Right. Even in our church, that can be the way some things are structured. Um, so that's not always the case on the ground. Um, and we need to move in that direction, I think, right? And that's really what Eden Invitation is trying to do for at least the people who come our way to say, hey, no, these things are possible. We don't always see them, but they are. Um, and they can be really good and they can be really beautiful. And like, let's just try to work it out together. When I was doing marriage prep uh, way back in the day, there was a, a f- phrase that I talked about um, that we've reduced all affection to romance, and we've reduced all romance to sex. And so here in our society, we have this sexualized concept of the human person and the sexualized concept of relationship in general, kind of going back to the uh, When Harry Met Sally movie, uh, men and women can't be friends because the sex always gets in the way they say, right? Um, how do we, uh, as, uh, as the people of God, begin to uh, reaffirm and remind ourselves of the beauty and the dignity of uh, friendship and platonic affection without us immediately jumping to this thing of, oh, well, gosh, people might think that that's, you know, sexually motivated and I need to step back from that. And, and I think that there's some of that also at play in, in this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think practically it's, it's showing up for one another and showing up in ways that, um, are open to, I think, the di- the complementarity that comes with diversity, right? Um, I think cross-vocational friendships are really important. If you're listening to this and you're a married couple, you have a family, like, I hope you have single friends in your life that are part of your regular rotation in your home. Um, that's incredibly important, right? For people to feel, like, welcome, to feel loved, Um Young adult events at parishes, right? It shouldn't feel like a meat market. Um, you know, I mean, now I guess they're all on Zoom, um, at least for maybe a few more months. But I mean, how often do you go to a theology on tap and it's like everyone's scoping, right. you know? And that's, what is that, right? Like we, and also too, from a formative perspective, like, yes, talks about vocation are good and important and talks about marriage are important. We need that. But what about, I mean, I wish I heard, I remember I I lived in a house um, a few years back with, um, I was about five years older than most of the young women living there, but it was all single women in their mid twenties. 
And I was like fired up. I was discerning Eden invitation. I was like, I feel like I'm on a mission. I know where I'm going. I remember asking a question at our communal dinner. And I said like, oh, well, what are your goals for the year? What do you want to do? You know, like, what are your big dreams? And nobody had any. Everyone was like, I mean, I think I want to try an instrument. I think I want to make more friends. Like it was, it was good. And everybody had a great year. There's all wonderful people. But I remember there was this sense of like a lack of understanding of like, how does my unique charism contribute to my unique mission, mm-hmm. right? Like my state of life isn't, that alone isn't my vocation in life, right? My vocation, my calling is bigger. Um, but also, and also hyper-specific, right? It could be a way I'm living my state in life. And I think we need more formation on all of that because it can easily feel like, well, if I can't become a religious and I can't get married, there's nothing for me in the church. I have no vocation. I have no calling. I mean, tell that to Pierre Giorgio Fassati. Tell that to Dorothy Day. Like, right. no way. Well, and, and even beyond that, you know, beyond um, if I'm not religious or I'm not uh, and not going to get married, there, there's the whole understanding uh, that's put forward that all of our lives are ordered specifically toward those vocations and that if, um, that if I don't fall into that, if I don't have some kind of, uh, identity in, in my sexuality, then somehow I'm missing out and there's no place for the church, no place in the church for me that we've locked ourselves into seeing ourselves primarily as sexual beings, um, which yes, it's a big part of who we are, but it's, that's not the extent of our vocation of how am I going to use my sexuality as celibacy or, or marriage? There's, there's more to our identity and there's more to our vocation than just that. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're integrated people, right. And, and, and to be able to um, see the whole of our life, you know, um, the whole of, yeah, like the intellectual life, the emotional life, our social life, um, or even within like the way that we live in our bodies, right? So often I think when we consider the theology of the body, we think about man and woman, he created them, these like texts from John Paul II that were largely um, about sex and marriage, but they also were laying foundational principles that were broader, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and how am I living in, in my body? It just as a human being, like, what am I eating? Like, how am I exercising? Like all of these aspects go into shaping, um, our day-to-day lives. Um, and, um, they all, yeah, they all play a role in where we're going. Like they're, they play a role in our present moment. They're part of our past. Um, and they're things that we should be considering as vital to our future. We're talking today with Anna Carter, co-founder and president of Eden Invitation. Go to EdenInvitation.com to learn more about the ministry, the apostolate, uh, and what they are, who they do, and how you can help as they create space to receive the whole person, to grow systems of mutual support, and empower one another for creative discipleship. This is such a vital ministry. Learn more about their work and how you can help by going to EdenInvitation.com. We're going to continue this conversation with Anna Carter just after this break, so don't go anywhere. But do come and join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. I really want to hear from you. What's your response to this document from the CDF to all the news articles surrounding it? Come and share your thoughts, but stick around because we're going to dive into this topic 
a lot deeper right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Anna Carter. She is the the co-founder of Eden Invitation. You can find out more about them by going to EdenInvitation.com. This is Anna's second time on the show. We had she and her co-founder back here on the show in October. And you can find that episode by going to OutsideTheWalls.com and clicking on her name, Anna Carter or Shannon Ochoa, and it'll take you to that episode. Uh, and we're talking about the the dubia that was recently responded to by the CDF about whether or not the church could uh, officially bless a same-sex union. Um this is, uh, if you're just joining us, you're going to want to make sure to catch the first part of this uh, as well by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, uh, clicking on that archived episode and listening through. Uh, we were talking about the fact that these discussions typically end up uh, in the same, rehashing the same ground. And when I was doing marriage prep way back in the day, something that we often told people is that if you're having an argument and you keep going back to the same points and rehashing them, then the argument's really about something else. And you need to step back and take a look at something deeper to see what it is that, that's really at issue. Um, I think that that's what's going on in these discussions. I, I think that the church needs to say what the church needs to say. But we who are talking about it need to take a step back and look at the person um, because something's going on here. Something's going on deep in the heart and the identity that, that is not what we intend. And so we need to make sure that as we communicate, we do so with the person in mind. Now, Anna, I've seen two things here. I've seen, um, I, I've seen people who are so excited and happy, kind of like a finally the church has said this, as if the church hasn't said this hundreds of times before, um, as if a way to say, now the matter's settled, right? Uh, and, and other people who are disappointed, and there seems to be this disconnect over how to have a conversation that actually gets to the heart of what's being felt and what's being said, uh, that that can really recognize the truth of what the church teaches and the truth of the dignity of the human person at the same time. So as you've walked this out, what would you suggest uh, to a person on either side of this divide to try and find their way to the middle? I think the first thing is listening. It might seem so obvious, but I mean, how often have we been in conversations where ideas were at stake and you're just calculating how to say your idea next or how to respond and, and to recognize, I loved that analogy um, that you shared from marriage prep, but I, I think there's, there is something similar going on here, right? Is we're, we're all, we're so ingrained um, and it isn't just a head matter, right? For any of us, right? I think on, on the one hand, um, the, the finally people, there's this deep heartfelt desire to have, have clarity, 
right? And to have, um, to have what you, you know, the, the beauty of church teaching to be named and stated and not apologized for, right? That we can live in this, we can live in it well, right? There's this, there, there's a deep desire for that. And then you also have people that deeply love someone, Mm-hmm. and are in various stages of their own faith journey and are trying to, they, they know it's not good for a man to be alone. Right. And they're trying to, to love. And, um, and I think even I, I will know like for, for the cheerleaders that there were aspects of this document that were acknowledging that, which I think was a great, great step to say of listening to say, okay, we see, um, that, you know, if you're in a place of commitment and, and sacrifice and service with this other, with another person, there are good things here, you know, there's good things here. And so, well, and um, just right there, just yeah. to, to address the, um, uh, the, the person who might be objecting to that, let's, let's list out. Uh, for everyone, all of the things that would exist in uh, a relationship of two people of the same sex uh, that that would be um, really untenable uh, in terms of holding to church doctrine. All the things that are in there in that relationship that the church would look at and say, oh, this is not good, can be summed up in uh, sexual activity outside of marriage. Right, all of the other aspects of of uh, a relationship and of a commitment to a person and of taking uh, responsibility for them and entering into a um, a union of of companionship outside of sexual activity is something that the church would affirm. In fact, we see it with um, with monasteries and with friaries and with with convents and with all kinds of other relationships where people take responsibility and enter into relationship with one another in a holy and a chaste way that has strong benefits for the human person. And I, and to, I think to be able to, if you have those people in your life that are, are pursuing that, you know, with the, the addition of the, the sexuality, like the, the erotic element, um, have those conversations, you know, ask, ask about their lives, ask about their relationship ask about, okay, what's, what's been a blessing in this relationship this year, right? To learn that for yourself of how these other people are articulating it. Uh, I think that's incredibly important um, to build empathy, to grow conversation and to get a sense of what our hearts are longing for. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, not, we don't go to the confessional most of the time because like our head didn't know something. Right. We're going to the confessional because our heart isn't all caught up yet, you know? And so to be able to be in dialogue, be in conversation, understanding the heart of that person um, is just so important. This is something that that I've seen um, really people wrestle with because it, whether it be uh, a person who's never known someone who experienced same-sex attraction, whether it be a parent whose child is going through this, uh, how how do I listen? How do I seem like I am affirming things that are in this person's life um, without condoning it? How do I res- propose a, a, a beautiful yes of relationship with God um, in their situation without 
bringing it up every single time that they're doing something wrong without being seen to be condoning that activity. I would encourage you or any listener to first self-reflect on with your friend or family member that is living with somebody outside of marriage Mm -hmm. of the same, of the opposite sex. What do you do there? Um, if you have a friend, um, who is, is a very dear friend, but there are aspects of that friendship that are maybe unhealthy for you, or you see certain patterns in their life of sin. What do you do? Right. I mean, this isn't, I hesitate to say, I mean, this, there's special concerns here, but it also like, it's not rocket science, right? It's human beings. Like these are human beings trying to figure out how to live and to love and be loved. Right. That's, that's, that's what's going on here. And they're, they're doing that in a way that, yep, the catechism isn't given a thumbs up to, right. I mean, <laughs> that's happening, but we are all doing that, you know, in, in various ways. And so, um, I think, I think it's possible to hold, the, hold those both intention, right. To, to listen well, both to the person and to the Holy spirit, mm-hmm. right. The Holy spirit should always be part of maybe some of these challenging conversations. Um, because the truth is God knows this person and their story. He knows everything. He knows every little detail about this person's life and every little detail about their mood in this conversation right now. So ask his help, um, for, for inspiration, um, to, perfect your love for this person. Right. Um, and, and to respond well to what it is that they're saying. Um, and, and I would I would even recommend just, especially if you're already in relationship with this person, I, I heard an analogy that, um, I heard a speaker say that we often get so worried, um, in some of these conversations, it's like we set an egg timer, like we're baking and like, we have to mention church teaching before the timer goes off or we've like committed a sin of omission, you know, like I didn't say it in that 30 minutes. Like, well, the truth is if this is your family member, if this is a friend, if this is a neighbor, your neighbor isn't moving out of their house tomorrow. Right. Like we have these opportunities to build and to grow. So we don't need to bring it up in every conversation. Um, ask the Holy spirit when and how as relates to that individual. Um, and I, but again, in the words of, you know, in the words of St. Peter, like always be ready to give reason, you know, an explanation to anybody who asks you a reason for your hope, right? If anybody's asking you too about church teaching, if they're asking you what you think, be prepared with gentleness and reverence to respond. Well, um, that's important too. <laughs> and, and the, the whole thing about that, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you. And I say this all the time, you can't, give an answer if there's not a question. So you have to live in a way that is questionable, right? If you're, if you've got a neighbor and, or, or a family member, the question is not going to, to come up because you bring up church teaching. The question is going to come up because you treat them like a person when nobody else does. You still hold to the belief that, that following the teaching of the church is the way to ultimate fulfillment that will fulfill the desires of their heart. But you start by actually acknowledging that the desires exist. God placed desires in us for the purpose of fulfilling them. And we're the ones who go off and try to fill it with all kinds of different things. Um, my, my temptation to fulfill that desire is different than yours, but it's still a disordered desire, right? The, the ordered desire is to know that as, as, St. Teresa of Avila said in her poem that I love to quote here, uh, God alone 
suffices. And so we do that by, by first encountering the person. Um, I don't know if, if you uh, would agree, Anna, but one of the things that I have seen in people who have that kind of finally mentality is almost the sense of relief that the church isn't going to, to up and change um, practice. Now, I came into the church, I was uh, a Protestant beforehand, and one of the things that I have uh, just a, a great deal of settledness about is the fact that God's the one who preserves his church and that um, that the church isn't going to change. So I don't have to really fret or worry or hold my breath to see if she will because I know and I trust that God preserves his church. And if he didn't, if if a pope could come in and change doctrine, if a CDF could come and change doctrine, believe you me, it would have happened by now. You know, a lot of that I think just comes down to our having faith, right? I mean, faith, it's a theological virtue. We can't conjure that up on our own. You know, we have to be praying for it. And and a lot of it does come like, do I have faith? Do I trust in the words of Christ that he is going to preserve his church, right? That he's going to be with us until the end of the age. Do I believe that? Um, and, and to look at where is this worry, where is this anxiety coming from? Like, who do I think is really in charge? Like, do I trust that it's God who's in charge? Um, or is there something else that's stirring up that angst and anxiety? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a prayer by Thomas Merton that I've found consolation through, uh, a number of times. He says this, uh, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think I am following your will does not actually mean that I am doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I never do anything apart from that desire, and I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. And this, I think, should be all of our prayer right now. Um, Whether we're, whichever side of this discussion we're on, we ought to realize that the fact that I'm, I think I'm pleasing God doesn't mean that I am, but the desire to please him does please him. So let's pursue that desire. Let's make sure that before we seek to be right, we seek to be with him. And whatever that means uh, for your next step, let that be the thing that guides us. Is God, help me to come to know you more. Help me to do the things that will, in fact, please you. And that starts, as we see in Matthew 25, it starts by doing to the least of these what we would do unto him, right? Everything that we do, every conversation that we have, every insult that we throw, every wall that we throw up um, is doing that to him. So engage with a person, engage in the conversation without in the least sacrificing what we believe, but recognize that we meet Christ when we go and we meet those who are on the edges. That was, that was beautifully said. Um, and, and I think it's, I think good for us to remember that. I love that you used, um, you know, 
Matthew 25, because it's, it is a, it's a work of, there is a work of mercy, I think that is involved here, right? There is the mercy of God, right? Is, is this extension of love, even when on paper, it doesn't look um, like we're doing everything right, you know? And um, that is what we're called to be imitators of, um, wherever we find ourselves in whatever relationships and whatever that sphere of influence that we have um, is to be those workers of mercy and love. So we talked to you a while back about uh, y'all won the OSV challenge last year, one of the three winners. Um, You have this fantastic initiative called uh, Hearth and Porch. We talked about that in the old episode. People can go and listen to it there. But how has it been? How's it, uh, how's the progress been over the last five months and how would people get involved in the work that you do with Eden Invitation? Yeah. And we're getting rolling. We're, we're super excited to be launching. Uh, so we're launching local groups and some regional groups in areas where people are a little more spread out, you know, want to give the rural people an opportunity, uh, <laughs> to engage, but, um, yeah, so we're doing these local groups. We're going to be rolling some of those out after our annual retreat. So we have our annual retreat happening, um, in a few weeks. And then after that, um, it's a great way for people to plug in say, Hey, you had this amazing experience. Um, you encounter the Lord, you grew community with one another. Let's keep doing that. Like, let's keep this going in person. Uh, and so we have, uh, several of those that we're, we're rolling out this spring, um, we're super excited about. And yeah, we're in the process. We're also going to be releasing um, later this year, some testimonial videos from people within our community um, that we hope um, will just be a, a snapshot of their story, right? This isn't apologetics. This is just getting to know a person um, and the fabric of their life, right? Um, the different elements of their life. Um, and so we're, we're narrowing those down right now. And we're really excited to be able to, to bring those um out for, for public consumption, uh, in a few months, like continue to, to pray for us, uh, to support us as we continue to grow. Um, you can check out our resources there on our website. Um, you can become a partner in mission and donate uh, a lot of opportunities, uh, to engage no matter what your experience is. That website again is edeninvitation.com. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me. If you missed any part of my conversation with Anna or you want to go back and listen to it again, make sure you heard what you thought you heard. Maybe you want to share it with your friends on social media. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can go there, click on Anna's name there in the sidebar, uh, Anna Carter. It'll take you to this week's episode. You can also click the subscribe button and never miss an episode again. And if you just can't get enough of this kind of thing, well, there's always an extra segment. This week's extra segment ends up spending a lot of time talking about Star Wars and beer, believe it or not. Uh, We do get to some deeper topics as well. You can get to that by joining our support community there in the top right-hand corner of the page. It says Patreon, support the show. Click that link, follow the directions, and learn how you can help keep us on the air and get lots of extra content at the same time. Now let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you study Scripture with the mind of the church. Learn more at Verbum.com. Today's reading from Scripture comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers— the day I took them by the hand to lead them forth from the land of Egypt. 
for they broke my covenant. And I had to show myself their master, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will place my law within them and write it upon their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer will they have need to teach their friends and relatives how to know the Lord. All, from the least to the greatest, shall know me, says the Lord. For I will forgive their evil doing and remember their sin no more. That reading comes from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. And as I look at this, it stands to me as the the great ideal. This is where we're meant to be. We were made to be first and foremost in relationship with God. So he says, I will be with them, right? I'll write their law on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And they won't have to teach one another how to know me because they're all going to know me. This should be our prayer. This should be what we pursue. And we recognize, and it's written here right in the prophet, it's written for us, that it doesn't come through instruction. It comes through encounter. There's a time and a place for instruction, and that time and the place is to to understand more deeply after the encounter. So let's spur one another on to this deep and pure encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, who's come to make God the Father known to us. And from that point, all other things fall into place. Our reading from Church History Today uh, is a long one. I'm going to try to fit as much of this in as possible. Uh, This is various selections from Deus Caritas Est, which is the first encyclical of Pope Benedict XVI. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. These words from the first letter of John express with remarkable clarity the heart of the Christian faith, the Christian image of God, and the resulting image of mankind and its destiny. In the same verse, St. John also offers a kind of summary of the Christian life. We have come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. We have come to believe in God's love. In these words, The Christian can express the fundamental decision of his life. Being Christian is not the result of an an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. In a world where the name of God is sometimes associated with vengeance or even a duty of hatred and violence, this message is both timely and significant. For this reason, I wish my first encyclical to speak of the love which God lavishes upon us and which we in turn must share with others. That, in essence, is what the two main parts of this letter are about. They are profoundly interconnected. The first part is more speculative since I wanted to clarify some essential facts concerning the love which God mysteriously and gratuitously offers to man together with the intrinsic link between that love and the reality of human love. The second part is more concrete, since it treats the ecclesial exercise of the commandment of love of neighbor. I wish to emphasize some basic elements so as to call forth in the world renewed energy and commitment in the human response to God's love. 
Love embraces the whole existence in each of its dimensions, including the dimension of time. It could hardly be otherwise since its promise looks toward its definitive goal. Love looks to the eternal. Love is indeed ecstasy, not in the sense of a moment of intoxication, but rather as a journey, an ongoing exodus out of the closed inward-looking self toward its liberation through self-giving, and thus toward authentic self-discovery, and indeed the discovery of God, whoever seeks to gain his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it, as Jesus says throughout the Gospels. In these words, Jesus portrays his own path, which leads through the cross to the resurrection, the path of the grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies, and in this way it bears much fruit. Starting from the depths of his own sacrifice and of the love that reaches fulfillment therein, he also portrays in these words the essence of love and indeed of human life itself. Love of neighbor is thus shown to be possible in the way proclaimed by the Bible, by Jesus. It consists in the very fact that in God and with God, I love even the person whom I do not like or even know. This can only take place on the basis of an intimate encounter with God, an encounter which has become a communion of will, affecting even my feelings. Then I learn to look on this other person not simply with my eyes and my feelings, but from the perspective of Jesus Christ. His friend is my friend. Going beyond exterior appearances, I perceive in others an interior desire for a sign of love, of concern. Seeing with the eyes of Christ, I can give to others much more than their outward necessities. I can give them the look of love which they crave." Here we see the necessary interplay between the love of God and the love of neighbor, which the first letter of John speaks of with such insistence. If I have no contact whatsoever with God in my life, then I cannot see in the other anything more than the other, and I am incapable of seeing in him the image of God. But if in my life I fail completely to heed others, solely out of a desire to be devout and to perform my religious duties— then my relationship with God will also grow arid. It becomes merely proper, but loveless. Only my readiness to encounter my neighbor and to show him love makes me sensitive to God as well. Only if I serve my neighbor can my eyes be open to what God does for me and how much he loves me. The saints constantly renewed their capacity for love of neighbor from their encounter with the Eucharistic Lord, and conversely, this encounter acquired its realism and depth in their service to others. Love of God and love of neighbor are thus inseparable. They form a single commandment. But both live from the love of God who has loved us first. No longer a question then of a commandment imposed from without and calling for the impossible, but rather of a freely bestowed experience of love from within, a love which by its very nature must be shared with others. Love grows through love. That reading from church history is just uh, several snippets from Deus Caritas Est, uh, which was the first encyclical of Pope Benedict XVI. And that's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by all those who support the show through Patreon. Learn more about our Patreon support community at OutsideTheWalls.com. 
Join the ongoing conversation at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. I want to hear from you. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.